Hello and welcome to the Offfield Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international player, now mindset and performance coach. I help players and teams all over the world overcome setbacks, play in the zone and achieve higher levels. On this podcast, I chat with people at the top level about their journey so that you can get their insights and hear what worked for them. You probably agree that you need to be strong mentally as well as physically, but most players don't know how to work on their mindset. My new book, The Book on How You Become a Pro Rugby Player, is like a gym program, but for your mental strength. In it, you'll learn how to instantly move on when you make mistakes in games, how to feel excited and confident on the field, and how to play in the zone. And it's available now on Amazon. Please subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening, and be sure to send it on to some friends. Cheers. Hello and Happy New Year. I hope you are keeping well. Hopefully you had some time off over the Christmas period to put the feet up for a couple of days, rest, recover, relax and all that because that's definitely important too from time to time. You can't always keep the foot in the pedal. I know that this time of year can be difficult for a lot of people with the days being short the weather not being great in a lot of countries before christmas you've got the lead up to christmas and you've got that in front of you to look forward to but then yeah in january and a bit of february it can seem a bit bleak something that i have found really helpful in the past is to practice gratitude and so what that simply means is getting a pen and paper and just writing down the things that you're grateful for And the best way to implement this, I've found, is to do it in the morning. So when you wake up in the morning, after you brush your teeth, jump in the shower, then sit down for like three minutes, four minutes, and just scribble down the things that you're grateful for. And no matter how bleak things are, you can always find a couple of things that you're grateful for and I I do understand that this can sometimes be easy you could the things just come to you and you just scribble down loads of things and sometimes it can be challenging and you you got to think but you know if you've got a roof over your head you've got food in the fridge if you have your health if your family members have their health then there are things that you can for sure be grateful for. And the more you do this, the more you train your mind to focus on the positives and to think of the things you're grateful for. Because I know I'm, I know that every day there can be many different things that don't go your way or you've challenges, you've challenges at work, you've challenges in training, you're not getting selected on a team, things aren't going your way, like I know that all these things can happen, but the more and more that you practice gratitude, the more that it becomes your default. And I have just found that this has had a really positive impact on my mental health as a whole. Because, yeah, I've challenges just like everyone else. We all have difficulties, but I just keep bringing myself back to how happy I am to be alive and for my family to be healthy and for me to be healthy and 
for me to be able to go to the gym this morning and to be able to eat good food and to just have all these little things. And then, yeah, for sure, when something big happens, I'm grateful for that too. But anyway, I just thought I would mention that before I get started because it's something I was just thinking about this morning myself. And yeah, it's helped me a lot in the past. Before the Christmas break, I was doing a talk in a school here in Ireland. And after I do talks with clubs, schools, teams, I always hang around after and have a chat with different people and people come up and they have different questions. They ask me different things. And after this one, there was a guy who was talking about an injury he was going through, rehabbing through, and he was getting close to coming back onto the field and returning to play. But he was just talking to me about some of the challenges he was having mentally with that. In the past five or six weeks, I've gotten a few DMs into my Instagram at Offfield Rugby about similar things, just similar challenges that people are going through with injury and recovery. And I was just thinking how this is such a common thing and it affects different people in different ways and the severity of the injury or maybe if it's your first big injury, it can affect you differently. And I just thought that I would jump on and chat about my experience with injury, specifically my experience with my first serious injury. The first one where I needed a kind of major surgery and was out of the game for quite a while. Like growing up, I would have rolled my ankle quite a lot and, uh, you know, tweaked little things, got bangs here and there, but I was always back on the field within a couple of weeks. So, None of those little minor injuries really affected me too much. For sure, if I missed a game, I'd be like pissed off that I missed a game. But, you know, once I was back on the field within two, three weeks, I was fine. And yeah, just I am going to speak about my experience. And as a heads up, I am going to speak about mental health in this podcast. So if that is something that you do not want to hear about or listen to, switch, just click off, find an earlier episode or come back next week for sure. And I mentioned in the podcast last week when I was chatting to Peter Claffey, how me hearing Blind Boy and Brezzy, those two in particular, speaking about their experience of mental health really helped me and those two are incredible and I'm not a counselor or therapist but I'm just going to speak about my experience and so when I was in my early 20s I was playing club rugby in Lansdowne in Dublin and also with the Connacht Eagles I had graduated UCD did a commerce degree there and yeah, I was playing with the Lansdowne senior team. I just got my spot after I finished with the Lansdowne 20s. I was absolutely loving it. It was pretty full on when I look back. I was living down the canal and I used to go to the gym four mornings a week. So Monday to Thursday, I would get up at 6.15 in the dark, down a quick coffee and get on my bike at 6.35. 15 minute or so cycle down along the canal and I would lift in the club from just four seven until 
just after eight, get about an hour in, and then back on the bike, cycle into town, into my office, get a quick shower, be at my desk for 8.30. And back then, it was a bit mad, but I was working, I'd got a job in finance, and I was working from 8.30 till about 6, 6.15 most days. And then Tuesday and Thursday evening, we trained like pretty much every club in the country. But if we had a big game, which I think were probably every second week back then, we would also train on a Wednesday. So, yeah, things were going really well. Mike Ruddock was the coach. And we would do units on a Wednesday. So we'd hit the scrum machine for 20 minutes, do lineouts for 20 minutes. So, yeah, it was in the gym four mornings a week, training on the field three evenings a week, and then playing on a Saturday. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. I loved being involved with Lansdowne. I loved, of course, getting to play with the Connacht Eagles as well. That was the team I supported growing up. And yeah, I played with the 20s, captained them before that. But I decided to stay in Dublin and play my club rugby at Lansdowne because a lot of different reasons which I won't get into but we had such a good team I won't go through the whole team now I'll actually link the team in the description here you can have a look at it a lot of those guys have gone on to play with the provinces get into Ireland camps Tigburn's gone to play with the Lions which is unreal fair play and um, yeah I loved being a part of that Lansdowne team and we won the All-Ireland League in 2015. We beat Clontar from the final. And then the following season, I was probably in my third full season with the team. Before that, when I was 18, 19, I had played a few games here and there, but never really kept down the spot. I was mainly with the 20s. But then that 2015-16 season, I was vice-captain of the team and calling the lineouts, pack leader. And one evening late in October I was in my office and I got a call from a friend of mine and this was a little bit out of the blue like usually we'd text each other and so I picked up the phone quickly walked to the back of the office and answered it in one of the back rooms and my buddy was in the states studying at the time and playing rugby and we played together in the Connacht underage system And he said to me that the forwards coach was leaving the university that he was in and that I should go over, that I'd be good at the job and I could be a player coach. I'd get to do a master's, I'd get a scholarship and that I should really go over next semester. And I kind of straight away thought like, no, I can't. I'm I'm playing here in Lansdowne like work is going well. And I had kind of thoughts of going to France or England to try and pick up a contract there, maybe in a season or two. And so I just pushed away. I was like, no, I can't. And he kept trying to sell me. And then I said to him, I have to go training. It was a Tuesday evening. And so I, I cut him off and got on the bike, cycled down to Lansdowne. Then when I finished training, I had a text from him said to think about it and then he kept on to me he just kept on to me he wouldn't stop and so after a week or two of thinking I decided to give it a go 
I decided that I would head over to the States. Like, I'd get to do an MBA. And I was very, very ambitious back then as a player. I was ambitious for a lot of it. But uh, yeah, I remember at that time, I, I loved playing AIL with Lansdowne and winning and being at the top of the pile there. But I also was thinking of going to the next level and how that would come about. And my first reservation was that going to play college rugby in the States was a big step down from Lansdowne. But I thought to myself, it's a three-year residency rule. It was back then. It's now gone to five. My master's would take me 18 months. I'd get to be a player coach. And then there was talks of pro rugby happening around then. It was January. It was late 2015, October, November 2015. And so I thought, you know, pro rugby could come around. I'll then play over there for 18 months. I'll play for the Eagles and maybe go to a World Cup. That's what I started thinking in my mind. And that those were the the goals I started to set myself. It's kind of just long-term things in the future. And so anyway, I said I'm going to go over. And then a challenge, a big challenge for me was telling Mike Rodock, the head coach, and Stephen Rooney, the director of rugby, because I'd been in Lansdowne for five and a half years since I left secondary school. And leaving in the middle of the season as vice captain, I felt I was letting a lot of people down. I felt I was letting my teammates down. I felt I was letting them as coaches down. I felt I was letting the club down. And it was one of those, you know, when there's an important conversation that's a bit of a difficult conversation that you need to have and you build it up in your head to be massive and you say I'm gonna do it tonight I'm gonna pull them aside and I'm gonna have the conversation and then the time comes and you get really nervous and you just don't do it well I think I did that two or three times but anyway I pulled the two lads aside one day after training then and I told them and they were incredible. They were actually brilliant. Steve Rooney said to me, you know, for sure, that's a great opportunity. And then I remember what Mike Ruddock said to me. He said, Brian, I think you'll do really well over there. You're a real student of the game and you'll be a great coach. And he just said it. I don't know that he think about it too much, but it had a really profound impact on me. And it's something that I really became aware of now myself as a coach that the impact that you can have on your players just telling them how you feel and yeah of course you have to sometimes tell them negative things you got to tell them to work harder and all that but when you have a compliment to give give it you know what I have found is that players don't often realize how good they are when I was playing well in my younger years, I would have had a lot of doubt. I would have thought that I wasn't good enough, even though I may have been playing well. And for a coach to tell you that they think you're really good and that they trust you and that they believe in you is just everything. It makes you feel 10 feet tall and it makes you play like you're 10 feet tall as well. So for any coaches listening, that's just something I would encourage you to do. And it's something that I'm very aware of now when I'm coaching myself. 
But anyway, I told the two guys and then I told my teammates in Lansdowne that I was heading off and I went about getting my visa, went to the embassy in Ballsbridge in Dublin. I was over and back with the administrators in Lindenwood, the university, and then on December 30th, I headed over to America, to St. Louis in Lindenwood. And it was unreal. I really, really enjoyed it. I was playing a level or two below what I had been. And if you've ever taken a step down in level, it can be a lot of fun in that you see things a bit quicker, things are easier. And although you always want to be challenged as a player to get better, you know, if you are playing a level down or whatever, or playing against weak sides, you know, there is a bit of fun there to be had as well. So yeah, I was enjoying it those first four or five weeks. And then about five weeks into the semester, we had played a few games, we had gone down to Alabama, we had gone down to Texas, we had played the USA 20s at home in Lindenwood, St. Louis. Things were going really well. I was playing every game. I was really enjoying the coaching as well. I had coached the Lansdowne under 15s, or I'm going to say coached, but more so just helped out in the past. And while I didn't really know too much about coaching, I was enjoying passing on information. I was enjoying helping the guys. And it's an interesting one as a player coach. It's, it's challenging. I could talk about it another time. But you're jumping into some drills you're running other drills you're doing the fitness because one thing I didn't want the lads to think was that I was slacking off so I would always do the fitness but maybe if we're doing handling drills or kind of walkthrough drills I would explain and step out but anyway it was going brilliantly was loving it the lads were all unreal and then I got a text from the head coach And he said to me, could I meet him in his office after lunch? And I'd only known him a few weeks, but this was pretty out of the ordinary. You know when you get a text from your parents or you get called to come to the headmaster's office and you just kind of think this is a bit weird or you think, oh, I'm in trouble here. What have I done wrong? And you feel a little bit apprehensive. Well, that's how I felt. and. Anyway, I went down, walked down the corridor to his office. All the different coaches' offices were along this big, long corridor. You had basketball, baseball, football, all the different coaches. And the rugby one was down at the end on the right. So as I was walking down the corridor, I'm thinking, what is this? Why am I being called to his office? Like, everything's going well. Like, I'm playing well, and I feel like I'm being good as a coach or I'm doing well or I'm being nice like I'm trying my best here and I walk into his office and he sat behind his desk and in the corner is the athletic director the athletic director is the head man he sits above all of the coaches in the university and I'm thinking to myself what is this he tells me to take a seat and I do And then he tells me that USA Rugby have a rule where you cannot play college rugby 
if you have done your undergraduate degree abroad. And I had done my undergrad in UCD. So I said to him, well, if they've just brought this rule in, then we can surely get dispensation because I've been here like six weeks and we didn't know this before I came over. So they can't just change it all of a sudden right before the season starts. The competitive, first competitive game was next week. And then there was silence. And the head coach, I could see he looked uncomfortable. He was looking around, looking at the AD. And then he said to me, oh, no, this rule has been in for the last two years. And so I was like, what? And I'm thinking, did you recruit me and lie to me saying that, yeah, of course, I'll be able to play, even though my scholarship is as a coach? I'll be able to play because he needed a coach. And I was very adamant that I was not retiring from playing at 23 years old. And I was very, very ambitious. And that was the one crux of it. It was like, yeah, I'll come over, but I have to play. And so I'm thinking, did you lie to me here? But anyway, then he starts to say like, oh, we we didn't really know about it or we weren't aware of it. And I'm kind of thinking, who's we? This is you, buddy. Like, this is your mistake. What, what, what's happening here? And I'm starting to get angry and frustrated and upset. And then he says to me, oh, you can go home if you want. Like you can, yeah, like, oh, you can, you can head off. And I'm thinking, I've just literally packed up my whole life and moved over here. I've left my job. I've left the club and I've just headed over. And anyway, he kind of squirms around a bit. I'm, as I said, all the emotions, frustrated, angry, upset, confused, like just essentially my kind of world has come down around me a little bit. He's saying you can't play rugby anymore. And I'm in St. Louis here. And there's a local club team, but it's a D3 team, which will be like junior rugby in Ireland or maybe the bottom of AIL 2C. Anyway, I get up and leave, and as I'm walking back down that long corridor towards the double doors out of the building, on the right-hand side, I see there's a notice board, and I don't know why I looked, but something caught my eye, and it was a football player in full pads and helmet. And next to him on the notice, it said that there was open tryouts for the football team happening this week. I just thought to myself, oh, well, if I can't play rugby and I can only coach rugby, then I'm going to play football and I'll play football while I'm here. I'd never play, played football before. I grew up in Ireland, but I'd watched quite a bit of NFL. I really enjoyed the NFL and I liked watching Rob Gronkowski, who was tight end for the Patriots back then. And I said, yeah, I'll play tight end. I'll get to catch some balls. I'll do a few blocks and I thought sure I'll kick a goals as well and so I went to the tryouts uh, ran as a tight end we had to run a few different routes and after 25-30 minutes running different routes doing some blocks they said to the 12 or 13 of us that were there thanks and we'll be in touch if you get selected so next day I get a text from the coach saying that 
they thought I was good and that they're going to bring me into the squad. And the next step is that I have to go to the football office, meet the admin person and go through some NCAA eligibility stuff. So went there and then, yeah, started playing football. And it was preseason at that time. In spring, they do a preseason. So I joined kind of mid-February. And the next 10 weeks was preseason. And what that meant was in the gym, five mornings a week at 6 a.m. And then on the field, probably four days a week for two hours a day. And not an hour 45 the odd day, not an hour and a half the odd day, two hours every single day on the field. And it was interesting. I absolutely loved it. The 6 a.m. lifts, while it was difficult to get up in the morning, it was unreal. It's, it was interesting the difference in rugby gym culture and football gym culture. So with rugby, my experience was that people work hard, don't get me wrong. All the lads work hard in the gym. They push themselves. But in between sets, they'll have a laugh. They'll have a joke. They'll go over and have a little chat for 30 seconds or a minute or whatever. But in a gym in football, the intensity is insane. So you might have seen videos or clips of a football gym in the past and everyone's screaming at each other and the music is blaring. Well, that was every single session and it was a great crack. It was mad. I'll tell you one quick one. We were doing testing one day and one of the linebackers on the team, one of the strongest guys, was going for a max squat. And he was looking to set a record also within the team. So everyone stopped what they were doing. Everyone stopped their workout and came over and crowded around this guy. And so you had people standing on benches around. You had people standing on boxes. You had people surrounded the platform that he was on and everyone is just screaming at him, like screaming, let's go, let's go. You know, you can do it, let's go. And the energy was incredible. But he did it anyway, fair play to him. And that's the kind of way the gym is there. But anyway, we were playing on the field one day and we were doing a one-on-one drill. And it was a blocking drill. so you start about a meter and a half away from the other person and you're front on facing each other. We're in full pads, helmets. And then the coach blows his whistle. When he does that, it's go time. You smash into each other and you pump your legs as hard as you can while grabbing his pads. You pump and the idea is whoever gets the other person back a couple of meters wins. And it lasts like five to ten seconds doesn't last long but this particular time the coach blew his whistle and the two of us collide we're driving and after six seven eight seconds neither of us are getting go forward and then our momentum just goes off to the side and the two of us fall down on our sides stalemate as i hit the ground i just feel this bang in my shoulder I get up, I kind of think nothing of it, but ooh, it's a bit sore. So I head off to the sideline and the physio comes over to me and grab him water and I explain to him, yeah, I've just, just got a bit of bang in my shoulder, but it's nothing much. And so I run back out, finish the practice. That evening, though, as 
I'm cooking dinner. It starts to feel a bit sore as I'm just like lifting a plate and getting stuff out of the fridge. But it was like a dead leg, but on your shoulder. Some people call them a Charlie horse as well. You know that dull pain and then it kind of starts to affect your mobility and it just feels really stiff. So that's how my shoulder felt. But I thought nothing of it again. I had never had a serious injury at that time. So I was 23. And yeah, in the past, I had broken my nose a few times. I had to get surgery once on it because I couldn't breathe through it. Rolled my ankles, um, just bangs here and there. But I did my AC joint on my other shoulder, but I was only out for five weeks, four weeks. And I didn't really miss too many games, one or two. And so anyway, I just thought, you just assume that you're going to be fine. So while it was sore and really stiff, I just thought, you know, it'll be grand. But then the next day I went to training and it was, it was sore and I played through the pain. In the gym, it was okay. I could lift weights. It was just when I was hitting. But then after a couple of days, I wasn't able to lift my arm over my head. And I couldn't catch balls. I couldn't catch high balls when they were thrown to me. And I'd gone to the physio, the athletic trainer, sorry, that's what they are over there. And they said to me, yeah, it's just just a bang, probably you'll be all right. And I don't know, they said to ice it and then you put heat patches on it or whatever. But they thought it was pretty innocuous. And over there in America with health insurance, it's not like in Ireland where you can get a scan pretty quickly. Or that's what my experience was playing with Lansdowne and playing rugby in Ireland. So in America, there's just quite a few steps with your health insurance and getting booked in and the health system. You've obviously probably heard about it, but it's not very good or it's not great. Whereas in Ireland, you have a bang, the physio thinks it could be something serious. You just go and get a scan. Anyway, so I kept playing and it just was getting worse and worse. and. Then I started taking painkillers to get through training. And it started to bring me down a bit because this pain started getting more and more intense. And in the gym, I was pretty all right. I was able to lift the odd few things I wasn't able to do, like overhead press. But on the field, I could block, like, but my arm had to stay near my side. And it's silly, but I just wanted to keep going. I didn't want to just stop playing altogether and sit on the side. And in hindsight, obviously, that's what I should have done. And I had arranged to go to Alaska that summer to Anchorage. There was a guy up there. If you Google Alaska Mountain Rugby Grounds, you'll see a massive house with a big rugby pitch on the front of it in the woods on the side of a mountain essentially in Alaska up in the hills in Alaska and that's about 20 minutes outside of Anchorage and that's where I lived that summer so he brought up a handful of us uh, college rugby players and gave us trucks and we would coach the local teams in Anchorage and then we'd work during the day it was great crack so I headed off there when the Spring semester finished, got the flight up to Alaska, and 
it was silly. I shouldn't have played at all, but I weirdly felt this bit of an obligation. This guy was really sorting us out and they were asking me, all of us, you know, what positions we were and where we were playing. And I just once again felt a little bit of an obligation. So I told him, I just said I'd play a 10. And I remember once or twice I would just stand in a 10, kick the ball, pass the ball. I could barely pass off my right, but I'd pass off my left okay and just not get contact. And if there's a space wide open, I'd go through the space, but I would just hide then on defense. And remember one game I played and the competitive instincts just took over. You know, I got frustrated and I was like, we're winning this game. Stupid, like a random game in Anchorage, Alaska in the summer. Like, <laughs> but I am just a very competitive person. And so I started just like playing as I always would have and went all right. I scored one or two tries. And then I would kind of hide at full back on defense. Someone made a clean break stepped me to one side and I tackled him and it felt as if someone had just knifed me in my shoulder. The pain was unlike anything I had ever felt in my life and so I had to go off the field and I was just in agony and after that game then there was a nurse on the team that I was playing with and coaching and everyone could see I was just in a bad place. I was the pain was not really going. And so he went home and got me prescription painkillers. And I remember going back and taking them. And at that point, I was like, I've got to get a, a scan on this. And so I organized a scan in St. Louis when I got back in a few weeks and I stopped playing. The scan showed a torn labrum, torn cartilage. And that was in September. So I booked to get the surgery when I was going to be home at Christmas. But around that same time, just when I came back to school, back to university in September for the semester, we found out that the head coach of the rugby program was leaving. And then I got a message from the athletic director to come and meet him. So I went in and there was myself and the other two assistant coaches at the time, the three of us. And he said that, yep, yeah, the head coach is leaving and they will be hiring a new head coach, but that this head coach would be hired externally. So the three of us assistant coaches were doing our masters at the time. And the athletic director said that the new head coach cannot be studying in the school as well. So I'm thinking, okay. Then he says that there's been a shakeup in the athletic department and changes with budgets and there will only be one assistant coach going forward and that it's probably best that the person who has been there longest will go forward as the assistant coach i.e. you other two are not getting your scholarships this year and have lost your positions. So my heart just sank. And 
I did not know how to process this. I had essentially done most of the coaching on field that previous year. Of the other two guys, one of them was an analyst and the other was more of an S&C guy. So the analyst was being kept on because he was there the longest. I was in shock. I couldn't really process this, how this could happen, how one semester in that they could just change these things and pull the rug from under you, kind of, so to speak. And so I got frustrated, angry, but then it started to feel like the room was closing in on me and my heart rate started to go up, my chest started to feel really tight and I started to feel as if I couldn't breathe properly and I didn't know what was happening but I knew I needed to get outside so I just got up, walked out, pushed through the emergency exit doors and then the world seemed to just all close in. I couldn't breathe. I lay down on the grass and what I learned later on was that I was having a panic attack and it is such a disgusting feeling, to be honest. It kind of feels like you're dying, like you can't breathe and you're gasping for air, like gasping for air, trying to get a breath in, but you can't and your chest is so tight. and. And as well as this, I was crying. I was just all over the place. And a guy who I know came over to me and started talking to me. And while I was in a state, I remember being very happy to see him. He was someone who I really liked and trusted. And anyway, I came to it a bit and I calmed down and my heart rate came down. And I was okay. Uh, even though it felt like my world had just come down around me, I was at least able to get up off the ground and breathe. So that was that was good. And then yeah, it was it was challenging, but pretty soon after the within a day or so. That Aussie guy was a legend and he looked into other things within the school. So the gym in the school were hiring a couple of people and the scholarships would have been similar-ish to the ones that we were getting as rugby coaches. So we applied for those and then for the rest of my masters, I was the head of the intramural sports. So I would organize the referees for the intramural sports within the university and to be honest that was the most chill thing in the world when I say organize the referees they were already there there was a couple of full-time employees and they did most of the work so I used to just rock up and watch some volleyball games or watch some baseball or softball or whatever soccer in the evenings so it was grand then I got my surgery at Christmas and 
They said to me, you'll be out for nine months. I said to myself, I'll be back in six. You know, I kind of thought that's how it worked. I thought if you could work harder, they'd get back. And you know, you always hear people coming back quicker. So that's what I said to myself and went after it, was doing my rehab with the athletic trainer. And it was very, very challenging. I remember the pain of getting the mobility back in my arm, in my shoulder was unlike anything I had felt before. It felt as sore as when I would get hit when my shoulder was dust, when I was injured. Like the pain every single day of getting the mobility back was awful. And people who have been through surgery, I think shoulder surgery specifically is quite challenging because the movement goes in all directions versus a knee just goes up and down. But yeah, you'll know if you've been through it. But before, I had no idea that it was so sore. I had no idea it was that painful. But I just thought to myself, I'll keep pushing, whatever. Just keep pushing. It'll be all right. I'll get back on the field. And I was graduating that spring. And there was a lot of talk of MLR. It was happening. This was 2017. And so I got in touch with Chicago. And Chicago were meant to be one of the first teams in the league. So I thought, this is great. Like, I'll finish my degree here. And then I'll go and play MLR. And the team in Chicago, they were giving me accommodation. They were really helping me out. They were brilliant. I had sent over my CV. I had sent over my playing highlights from a year or 18 months ago when I was back in Ireland. And they were, you know, really, really excited to get me there. They were incredible. And so I was buzzing, you know, I was excited. I was like, right, this shoulder is, I'm going to get back. I was six weeks into my rehab and while it was challenging I just said just keep pushing day after day get into that athletic trainer do your rehab do your exercises keep pushing through the pain and I had a deal secured with Chicago for when I finished in three four months time so all was good but then after a couple of months of rehab, the athletic trainer told me that I could go back to non-contact training. So I could run around and I could pass. And so I started doing that, started getting back into it slowly. And one day, later in the semester, myself and my housemate were leaving to go into the school to go to class and he was about 15 meters away leaving the house and he passed me a ball rugby ball and I caught it dropped my school bag and went to whip it back to him it was one of those kind of longish passes you know when you have to put a bit of body behind it you have to load it up well and whip it back and so as I did and I released the ball, I just felt a pop. Imagine if during the surgery, they stitched things back together in my shoulder. Well, as I released that ball, it felt like all of those stitchings had just popped. 
and been undone, and my shoulder had just gone into an awkward position. And I just thought, oh, fuck, this is not good. And while the pain wasn't too bad in the moment, it was uncomfortable and my shoulder felt so weird. And I was just like, I'm after undoing every single thing. And this is not good. The sport had finished up in the school for the season. So I couldn't see an athletic trainer in there. And I was meant to be going to Chicago in a few weeks. And I had told them how I'd be ready, how the rehab was going well. And now all of a sudden, my mobility was going by the day. It was getting way worse progressively to a point within a week, I could barely move my arm. Like, no joke. I couldn't move my arm away from my body. My shoulder started to stiffen up and my arm started to go rigid. And so I just spiraled. Mentally, I just thought, wow, I have been a year with this shoulder. I hurt it initially for six months. I was out. I was trying to play on. I was probably making it worse. I was waiting for the surgery then for a couple of months. I got the surgery four and a half months probably of rehab. And then boom back to square one. There were so many things going on in my mind. I'm thinking I'm first up not going to be able to play rugby in Chicago and I have just bigged myself up essentially. I just shown them my CV from home. I had shown them highlights from 18 months ago and now I can't move my arm away from my body. They think that I am getting close to getting back on the field. I had been in contact with them, telling them things are going well and how excited I was to go up there. And then also the pain in my shoulder was starting to get worse and worse. I couldn't move my arm and it quickly got to a place where I was struggling getting dressed in the morning. Putting, t-shirt, putting a t-shirt on over my head was tough. I had to do it one hand. And so I just went into a bad place mentally, to be honest, and went off the rails a bit. And I just couldn't feel any positivity, any happiness. There was no positive outlook in the future there is nothing I could look forward to because in a couple of weeks I was going to Chicago and I felt like a fraud I couldn't do what I had said I would do and then I was like what do I do then move home and what butcher what do I do like this was meant this was the plan I was going to do my masters and then I was going to go and play rugby here Like, what now? And never mind sport, I could barely move my arm. And it was, the pain was getting worse and worse. 
to a point I couldn't jog anymore. Like I couldn't work out. I couldn't run because the pain in my shoulder was too much. And so I was just drinking heavily and out partying all the time. Because when I was out partying, it got my mind off it. And unfortunately, that's, you know, some people you might understand it on a certain level of, you know, when you get bad news and you decide to go drinking, but then you wake up with a hangover and the bad news is still there and it just all compounds. And so I was in a dark place and I was going out three, four times a week. And uh, yeah, I was just feeling worse and worse and worse. And then I went up to Chicago and tried to pretend I was okay. I tried to pretend that things weren't so bad. And to be honest, I just didn't want to let them down. It wasn't even that I, you know, they're giving me accommodation and all this. And it wasn't even that I wanted that. I just didn't want to let these people down, which I don't know. Looking back, obviously, I should have just told them. And they were great people in the club. They were incredible people. And I should have just said, like, hey, this is after happening. But when you're in a bit of a dark place mentally, you don't really think straight, to be honest. So I remember, like, trying to play through it and train. And so I would run around in training and not do contact. But even running around was was hurting my shoulder. and. I'd catch a ball with one arm nearly and just pass off my left and looking back like if people on the sideline I don't know how much how well I played it off but um yeah after a few weeks I was just in such a bad place as well around that time someone offered me drugs and I up until that point had only drank. I remember once or twice in school, someone said to try a cigarette, so I'd take a pull out of it and just be like, that's disgusting. And I'm not doing that anyway, because I'm playing rugby and I'm not being a smoker. And I had never touched anything else. And while I know drink isn't good, it's just the culture in Ireland, everyone drinks. And so, yeah, I was offered drugs. And I remember thinking, I have nothing now. I have not felt happiness in so long, and maybe this will help. And so I took them, and then things just got worse and worse. And I started to feel so shitty about myself, because growing up, society had led me to believe that anyone who took a drug was a very bad person. and. Also, anyone who had mental health issues was very weak. And I know that those two things are not true. Uh, I know now. But when I was in that moment, I was depressed and I was drinking heavily. And then I started taking drugs and I was just in the worst place. And I was just hating myself. And then. I just realized one day this all has to stop. And so I told them in Chicago I was I had to get out of there. I told them I was going home. I said that I have to get my shoulder right, that my shoulder is, is not right, and I'll have to go home to Ireland to see the surgeon I went to. And they said they were really supportive, and they said, yeah, you know, well, 
hopefully things go okay and when you're okay you know we'll have you back when you're fit again and I was just thinking that was the last thing I was thinking about playing rugby but I knew I had to get out of that environment I knew I had to get my shoulder right and even though I was I didn't know what the future held I just knew that I had to get back to being myself to being the person I was before all this injury and before everything started to go wrong and so I went home I saw the surgeon they said that I wouldn't need surgery again but I would need a few rounds of cortisone injections and that I had frozen shoulder and frozen shoulder means what it sounds like your shoulder socket is frozen it can't move so yeah my arm I couldn't move it but they said that three or four months of physio and you'll be good again you'll get the strength back in and I remember feeling really good that day for the first time in months I felt good because this surgeon had just told me that there is light at the end of the tunnel and I remember feeling excited for the first time. I remember feeling just in general good and it was unreal. It was unreal because for months before that I was just always dark. Everything was bleak. I couldn't see the good in anything. No day was good. And yeah, if anyone has suffered like that in the past they'll know about it but um yeah this was this was great and so I went to the physio and started going about my rehab and attacked it and I wasn't drinking I wasn't doing anything I was living clean and I was getting the strength back and all was going well and so then I said hey I'm gonna go back to the states coach the local team in St. Louis and play with them and then I'll move to Vancouver. And this really excited me because I would get purpose back in my life. And I think that's something that's so important is to have purpose because up until then, I had found a bit of purpose in my rehab, like getting healthy again was my purpose. But outside of that, I still didn't really have any prospects. I, I didn't feel myself that I had any prospects, you know, work-wise or rugby-wise, because, you know, for 18 months or for quite a while, I was, you know, not fit. And then, yeah, I just don't agree. But anyway, I wasn't thinking straight. And I just thought, you know, I'll get back to America, get to Vancouver, I'll start again, I'll get after it, I'll get my life back on track. And I was going to the airport in Dublin. And I just thought, even though I had all my papers in line, I had my visa from when I was there before. If you've ever gone to America, you'll know that the border guards, they grill you with questions. Why are you coming here? Where were you? Blah, blah, blah. Show us your papers. And they're very intimidating. And I was pretty vulnerable back then. And while I was getting back on my feet, I wasn't myself. And I just thought, there's a chance that I'll get turned away here. So my brother, John, was driving me up and I just said to him, you know, go and get a coffee. When you drop me off, pull in somewhere for 40 minutes or so and get a coffee. I just think there's a chance I might get through border security. And if that happens, I'll need a lift back home. 
And so I got my bags out of the car and I walked into the airport, went down to the US Customs and I was queuing up one of those big, long zigzag queues. And there were six border guards behind glass bringing people through. And as I'm queuing up, I just start to think, geez, what if I don't get through here? My mind starts spiraling. And a thought comes into my mind. And I think, I would prefer to get through here, get onto that plane, and the plane crash somewhere over the Atlantic than I would to get refused and have to turn around and go back home. And at that moment, I stopped myself. I caught that thought and said, no. I was like, no. And it's nothing bad on where I'm from in my home, but that, to me, just at that time, I associated that with having no purpose and having no future in life. Whereas me getting on this plane was me going back to having purpose and just stepping forward and getting back on track. And it was at that moment that I realized just how depressed I had been for the last probably eight months or so. And while the first few months of it, I was drinking and was taking drugs. For the last few months, I wasn't, but I was still depressed. And at that moment, I just realized I need to suss this out. I need to learn how the mind works. I need to learn how I get back to being myself. I need to, this isn't good. And I need to turn the page here. And so, you know, I went through that airport, I got on the plane, and I began then studying philosophy, psychology, mindfulness, spirituality. I started studying anything I could, anything I could get my hands on. I was reading so many books because I wanted to learn how this all works, how this happened. How did I, a determined young person, all of a sudden just go 180 and spiral into a depression which brought me to my knees and led me to living in a way that I could never have imagined I would ever do and culminate in me thinking that death would be a better option than living. And so, yeah, I just started studying and look, things went up and up from there. I went back to St. Louis, I started coaching that team, was back playing rugby, was coaching, was loving life. I was reading all this different stuff and I moved to Vancouver. I wasn't bothered about playing rugby competitively. I was just bothered about being back to the person that I was for 23 or 4 years. 
uh, who just loved life and was always excited about things and always had big goals in front of him and always worked hard and always just felt good. I don't know. And so I went back, yeah, went back playing in Vancouver, was playing what I felt was social rugby. It was a top div there. And things just kept going so, so well for me on the field. Like I was man of the match regularly. I was getting selected for the BC team to play against Canada before the World Cup. I was named in the Canadian club team of the year and all this different stuff. And it, playing was just so easy to me. And it was funny. I stopped caring about rugby. I just wanted to enjoy life. I just wanted to have fun and enjoy myself. And I started playing the best rugby I've ever played in my life. And it was to a point that I felt untouchable on the field. I felt unstoppable, like as if every single game, the game had slowed down and I could just do what I wanted, that I could see everything so clearly three phases ahead and I could take every opportunity. And don't get me wrong, this was a lower level. It was probably like AIL 2A, the club rugby over there. But even still, there were some really good players and it was just so easy to me. And it was then that I realized that all of this stuff, this was four years ago, three years ago, and all of this stuff that I was learning outside of rugby, the mindfulness, the meditation, the breathing, the breath work, the philosophy, spirituality, psychology, all of this stuff I was applying to my whole life and I was living in a certain way and it was all resulting in me just playing rugby that I never thought I would be able to play and me enjoying my rugby more than I ever thought I could have because while yes I really enjoyed rugby growing up but I would always be worrying a little bit you know like worrying like oh will I play well today will I make the team will I make the next level what does the coach think? I would have, you know, different worries that are normal or if I made a mistake, oh, I think the mind would start wandering and, you know, I get very nervous. And then when I was, after this, I just was playing incredible every single day, every single game. It just all came so easy to me. And that is what started me on the journey that I am on now because. In Canada, everything was happening for me. Like, as I said, I was playing with the provincial team, playing against the national team. I was then soon to be eligible for the national team. I was on the pathway there to play with Canada. I was, I was selected for Canada West. And everything just kept happening for me. Things couldn't have been going better. Now, as transpired, I had to stop playing because of concussion. But that's just another story whatever I'm over that now and yeah everything was just going so well and I just the penny dropped over COVID and I was just like I have to help other people with this I have to because I know that so many people are like I was when I was younger when I was in my teenage years and early 20s and they're 
like me, they're really ambitious rugby players. They love their rugby. They want to achieve things in the game, but they worry about different things. They get stressed. They have all these different things going on in their mind that are holding them back from being the players that they know they can be and holding them back from achieving the things that they know they can achieve in the game. And that's when I started Off-Field Rugby, my Instagram page. And then shortly after started this podcast because I had seen two sides. I had been that young, ambitious rugby player and, and worried about, will I make the next level? Worried about, will I play well today? Worried about, oh, what does the coach think? Oh, if I made a mistake. Oh, dwelling on mistakes. And uh, nerves getting the better of me. All these different things. If you've had these different challenges mentally, I probably had them growing up along the way. Little things, you know, little things. You make a mistake in a game and you then decide, oh, I don't want the ball now. I don't want to make another mistake. Oh, I might get dropped. And all these things that go on in your mind, which are very common. But then, yes, I had that very dark period, but it actually had a huge benefit in that I learned things when I was getting better that enabled me to just play the best rugby that I could ever have imagined playing. And it blew me away, to be honest. And I just enjoyed every moment of it. Things just kept happening for me. It felt so easy. And I just said, there's so many players out there that aren't enjoying their rugby, that worry too much, and so I need to help them. And that's why I started all of this. And yeah, as I said, it started with an Instagram page at Offfield Rugby. Then shortly after that came this podcast. I said to myself, when I was growing up, I didn't hear rugby players talking about their experiences. And a lot of the pod- or the interviews I heard growing up were all, how did the game go last week? Oh, you made this mistake in the game. And they're always talking about the match. And even podcast wise, you know, to be honest, I didn't really enjoy a lot of them and they weren't really sharing the experiences and the lives that the rugby players were living like outside of the game at the weekend like how did they feel what went well for them what didn't go well for them what helps them be their best selves and so yeah that's why I started the podcast and then of course the book on how you become a pro rugby player came about and that the book is a culmination of all that I've learned, but also having done this podcast and chatted to some incredible world-class players, I've learned a lot. And also, as well as that, I've gotten to play with lots of guys who've played with the Lions and played with Ireland, beating the All Blacks. I've got to play with, you know, some of the best players in the world when I was younger, playing with Ireland or playing underage for Leinster or Connacht or whatever. So I've seen what they do and yeah, I just compiled all of that and put it into the book. And I'll quickly share one framework from the book because I think this is one that comes up quite a lot. So when I work with players one-on-one or with teams, one of the first things people want to know is how do you get out of your head when playing and be present and in the moment? Because people talk about, oh, you got to be present, you got to be in the moment. And this is called being in the flow state or being in the zone. But how do you do it? That's the question. 
So it's all good and well people telling you, be present. Oh, stop worrying about this stuff. Stop worrying, be present. But anyway, how do you go about it? So this is a very simple three-step framework from the book. The first step of how you stop worrying and how you be present in the moment when you're playing and as a result of that, enjoy playing. The first step is you need to practice being present throughout the week. And what being present means is that you're not thinking about other things. You are concentrating on what you're doing right now. So if you are with a friend, being present means that you are fully engaged with them. When they are talking, you are listening actively to what they're saying. You're not thinking about what you're going to make for dinner later. That is not being present. And one of the best ways that you can practice being present is meditating. So the goal of meditating is not to have zero thoughts in your mind. And a lot of people when they start meditating, they say, Oh, I can't do it. I tried it, but my mind keeps racing. I can't do it. That's not the point. When you meditate, you focus on your breath, you feel your breath going in through your nose into your belly, and out again, you focus on the breath. Then when you think about other things when the thought comes in your mind about the work you've got to do later. And you become aware that your mind is actually thinking. You bring your focus back to the breath. So you stop focusing on those thoughts, and you bring them back to the bring the focus back to the breath. And that's what the skill is. So the more that you meditate, the better you will be at focusing on the breath. I've been meditating for three or four years, pretty much every day. And still, every time I meditate, thoughts will come into my mind. I have never, I don't think, sat down for a long meditation. And from start to finish had zero thoughts in my mind, and just been completely present, focusing on my breath. But that doesn't mean that it's not worth it, or that I'm not a quote unquote, good meditator, I still get huge value from it. And so that's what I would encourage you to do first up is give meditation a go. And the best way to start is guided meditation, you can go onto YouTube, type in five minute guided meditation. And what you, you can do is get a piece of paper and put 30 boxes on that piece of paper. And do your meditation every morning. After you meditate for three minutes, four minutes, it can be one minute to start. It's not about length of time. But after you do it, tick a box. And then the next day, tick another box. And you want to try and get 30 days in a row. So the first step, bringing it back, is you need to practice being present throughout the week. Other things that you can do is put your phone away and go for a walk in nature. Just take in the stuff around you, look at the trees, feel the wind on your face, feel the ground underneath you, hear the river flowing. 
just be present as you walk in nature. Now, what will happen is that you will start to get the urge to open your phone. You'll feel that feeling, you know, when you're on your phone and you put your phone down and then you get an urge through your body. You're like, I need to pick up my phone. And without even thinking, you pick up your phone, you go back doom scrolling. Well, that's the opposite of being present. That's keeping your mind racing. And so put the phone away. Go out and walk in nature, go play with your dog, eat your meal mindfully. And what that means is taste the food, smell it, look out the window and just be present in the moment. If you're hanging out with a buddy, have your phone away once again and just be there with them. Don't worry about what you got to do later. And so those are just a few different things that you can do to practice being present. Another one is breath work. You can go onto YouTube, type in Wim Hof guided breathing. It's like 10 or 11 minutes and you can lie down on the ground, put in your earphones, press play, and he'll bring you through a guided breathing session and you'll feel unreal after that. And you'll be very, very present in the moment and grounded. So anyway, if you want to be present in the moment on Saturday when you're playing your rugby match, you got to be able to be present in the moment throughout the week. So those are just a few things. And that's the first step. The second step is you've got to get your preparation right Monday to Friday. So if you're playing on a Saturday, you got to work hard during the week, you got to learn your plays, you got to put in the graft, you got to go to the gym, you got to do your rehab, your prehab, you got to work hard during the week. And why that is important is because when Saturday comes, if you have done all that you can do during the week, and you've left no stone unturned, as the saying goes, then you can essentially be at peace with yourself, knowing that you've done all you can do. There's nothing more you could have done during the week. Like, You've done everything you can. So now all that's left to do is just go play. Just go enjoy it. There's little point in worrying if you've done all you can do. On the other hand, if you are cutting corners, you're skipping gym sessions, you're not doing any extras, you're doing the bare minimum, well then... When Saturday comes around, it's very likely that you're going to have some thoughts in your mind going, oh, am I ready for this game? Am I going to be good enough? Are they going to find me out? Will I be up to it? You know, all these different thoughts can creep into your mind. And you know what? You can't disagree with them. Those thoughts could be true, essentially like you could get found out if you're not doing any work during the week and you're not putting in any graft then the game mightn't go well for you i i'm not going to beat around the bush if you're not doing any work in the gym if you're cutting corners and training then yeah you mightn't play well and things mightn't go your way and the worst thing is is that you probably won't live up to your potential 
And that's where the issue is for most people. You'll find that you often don't mind when you lose a game, but you've given everything that you've got and you've played to your absolute potential and there's nothing more you could have done. Whereas if things don't go your way and you've been cutting corners, then you're not going to really be that happy with yourself. So second point, get your preparation right. Work hard during the week. And the third point is stop caring, stop worrying and let go. So stop caring about outcomes. Will we win or lose? Stop caring so much about whether or not you'll play well or maybe stop worrying about whether or not you'll play well. And you might be hearing this and say, well, that's ridiculous, Brian. Think about it this way. If you were told this is your very last game of rugby or say you're 35 and you're about to retire, do you think you would go into that game worrying and caring so much about how you're going to play or how others were going to perceive it or worrying about what the coaches are going to think or worrying about if your team is going to win or lose and dwelling on that result. No, you probably wouldn't. You'd probably just be thinking, man, I get to play one last game of rugby. I get to go out and have fun and just play. And you'll be thinking about all the things that you love about the game. You'll be thinking about, oh, I get to go out and carry ball and make hits and hit scrums. And I get to go up against that other fella and I get to compete against him. And I get to do all of these things. And you'd start to get excited about all of those things within the game that you love doing you'd be thinking about all the things you love about the game instead of worrying about all those other things that happen around it like don't get me wrong I've done it all myself I've worried about all the things you can worry about I've cared so much about what other people thought of me you know like you care about like will the rest of them think I'm good or Will I get selected? You'd be worrying about, will I make the next team? Like, will I get picked for the rep team? Or will the coach think I'm good? Or will I keep my place next week? Like, you could be going into a game on Saturday thinking, will I play well? Or will I, you know, all this stuff. So, practice getting rid of that. I would bet that you have conditioned yourself, most people have, condition themselves to worry and to be in their head about all those millions of different things I've named out a few of them and you just think it's part and parcel of it and I often when I talk to players and I work with players one-on-one they'll say man I'm in my head before a game I'm I'm thinking about this I'm thinking about that I'm thinking about the other things but when I get out there and once I get my first hit in I'm good Or when I get out there and I just carry a ball, I'm good. And that's essentially because what they're saying is it takes some moment within the game for them to get out of their heads. 
sometimes then they'd never get out their heads or in their heads the whole time. But if you're not able to be out of your head, then if one thing goes wrong, you'll get back into your head. So what that person was saying is when I get a carry in, I can then be present in the moment. When I get a hit in, I can then be present in the moment. But if you're one of those people who's in their head and riddled before games, the chances are that, yeah, okay, you'll get into the moment, but when something doesn't go your way, like you make a mistake, there's a good chance that you'll be more likely to go back into your head to take yourself out of the present moment and start thinking again. So you need to, it's a practice of stop caring, stop worrying, and let go. So like, let go of the expectations that you put upon yourself. Like, for a lot of people, they say, I've got to be good today. I've got to be the best player today. I've got to make 20 tackles and got to do this. I've got to do that. And what that can often do is you just put pressure on yourself. You're piling pressure on yourself to be the very, very, very best version of yourself that you have ever been. Like, you know how great you've been in the past at times. And a lot of people will go into games piling that pressure on themselves. They'll be expecting themselves to be at that level. I got to be there. If I'm not there, then I'll get dropped or this will happen or that'll happen. So I have found that when you let go of all of that, stop worrying, stop caring, that you play your best rugby because you then become present in the moment and your, I'm going to say nearly animal instincts kick in. You are still going to compete like a savage when you get out there. It's not as if you're going to become less motivated just because you're not in your head worrying about stuff. You're going to be just as motivated. You're going to be competing. You're going to be giving it everything that you've got. You're going to be doing all those things that you do well that make you the player that you are just without all that shit going on your head, with just a clear mind. And the likelihood is that you've been there before and it just takes practice. One for me that works, what I like to kind of think about is when I was a kid in like seven, eight, nine years of age, when I was playing football or soccer in the schoolyard, I was never worrying about anything. I was never thinking about anything. Same way when I was around that age, I was playing rugby, I was playing basketball, Gaelic football. I was just competing. I was just in the moment competing. And it was only when I grew up and became a teenager and later on, then I think when coaches get involved half the time, they're the problem. And me being a coach myself now, it's something I'm aware of. But you then, as you grow up, you start to get in your head a bit. So anyway, that is my three-step framework for being in the moment, being present, and getting into the flow state or in the zone. So number one, practice being present throughout the week. Number two, get your preparation right, work hard. Number three, stop caring, stop worrying, and let go. And yeah, I go through that in the book on how I become a pro rugby player. And so I realized I've gone on a big long tangent on this podcast and it's an hour and 23 minutes in. 
But for me, the results that I got from studying the mind and learning, as I've mentioned, the kind of four areas that I really looked into were psychology, mindfulness, philosophy, and spirituality. And when I went into that dark place and I started studying those four areas, it helped my rugby so much. It's, it's hard for me to put into words the differences. And, you know, I was getting named in teams of the year, played for the provincial team, and yeah, I was on course to play with Canada. And yeah, before that, you might say, oh, well, you, didn't you play other underage stuff as well? And yeah, I did. But believe me, if I had known what I knew in my late 20s when I was 16, 18, 20, things would have been a lot different. And yeah, I'm just very, very grateful that I have learned those things. And now I get to work with players one on one. Like I get to, I've got to see players sign their first pro deal. Um, another this season get their first international cap, and not just that, but like I've seen a player who was on the second team in their school, someone I work with, to the next year starting on their university team. You know, so yeah, I just love it. I'm just very grateful that I've learned it. And now, yeah, I get to work with players. I get to share stuff on Instagram. I get to do this podcast. I get DMs into my Instagram talking about how much it's helping. And yeah, I'm I'm just very, very grateful that I got to enjoy my rugby so much for kind of three years before I had to retire from concussion and yeah I also get to now help others so yeah just a lot of gratitude and it's also funny when I look back because I spoke about that kind of one year period where I was in a very bad place and had mental health struggles but if it were not for that time I don't think I would have started studying the mind. I don't think I would have gone down the route that I went down because I only started doing all of that because I went into the dark place and I needed to find happiness again initially. That was why I started just taking step one on this path of studying the mind and understanding how things worked. And taking that first step led me to the second step and so on and so on. And it led me to playing personally my best rugby, but led me to more importantly, I think, setting up off-field rugby and getting started with the podcast and the book and all this stuff. And like now... This podcast is listened to in over 85 countries. The book on how you become a pro rugby player went to number one on Amazon ahead of Sia Khaleesi, Joe Schmidt, 
everyone really and yeah it's mad it, it really is mad to be honest but more importantly for me is not say these external accomplishments or results that might have happened from it but what I'm just delighted now is internally I understand myself better I understand my feelings I have awareness around it I know what helps me be my best self I know what I can do day to day in my actions in what time I go to bed in how much screen time I consume in what I eat in how I start my morning with my morning routine and how I finish my evening with my evening routine in how I work out I just I'm so aware of everything and the things that help me be my best self help me feel my best self both physically and mentally and also I've learned so much around goal setting and mindset stuff that it starts to come easy like I when I was younger everything seemed like a struggle when I was younger and I was trying to make certain teams and it all seemed like struggle it seemed like I was always struggling through everything. I was trying my hardest and it was always a struggle. And yeah, I had success. Don't get me wrong. I got to wear an Irish jersey and wear a Connacht jersey. Those were my two dreams going up. I got to do them, albeit at underage level and Eagles level. But everything seemed to always be a struggle. Whereas now, everything seems to come easy. Setting goals, smashing goals. And yeah, that's just another thing I love conveying on to rugby players. And I just want to mention, if you are struggling mentally, uh, talk to someone. I know that I didn't. And I know that it is very difficult when you are depressed or when you're struggling mentally. You don't even need to put labels on. Like when I was going through a tough time, I didn't say, oh, I'm depressed. I didn't. I didn't put that label on. I was just like, fucking everything's shit. Like, you know, and I didn't see any bright in anything. And if you're feeling like that, just just have a chat with your friend or your best friend or your uh, family member that you love. Like, just, just say to them. Just say, like, how you've been feeling over the last while. And then also talk to a, a specialist. Like, talk to someone, a therapist, a counsellor, or someone who specializes in that area once again i know it is not easy i know from first-hand experience it's very difficult when you're feeling shit when you're going through a period like that it's very difficult for you to build up the courage i think is the word to speak to someone but it is worth it it would be worth it i can tell you yeah talking like going to therapy or doing that stuff is worth it and um yeah i also want to mention that there from what i have found once again from my experiences there's always light at the end of the tunnel i spoke about that one very dark time which had a very bright light at the end of the tunnel but i still have of course like like you like everyone else there's days when i just they don't go as well as other days or you know you're just you're not feeling the best or it's just like uh you're struggling a little bit you're kind of worrying about stupid shit like you know work is getting on your 
mind or you're kind of a little bit stressed about a deadline or, you know, you kind of go through these little times. Don't get me wrong, we just all go through them. I now know, and this is something that I think you should think as well, is that when you're going through those difficult times, they're building you up for something better. They're making you stronger. It's only through adversity that you grow. When everything's going great, you don't grow as a person. When you go through challenging times, you grow as a person. That is a fact. So now when I'm not having the best day or I'm struggling a little bit with something, I kind of smile and I go, this is going to make me better. And yeah, it's a challenge to take the next step. It's a challenge to get through it. But I just know that there's always light at the end of the tunnel. And another saying is, it's always darkest before the dawn. And there's a saying I like from Winston Churchill, and he said, when you're going through hell, keep going. So, yeah, as I mentioned, if if you're really struggling, talk to someone or, you know, get help. But if you're just having a little bit of a challenge throughout your day, just keep pushing. Keep pushing. It's going to make you stronger. You're going to be better for it. Thank you for listening today. I really appreciate it. I know that I kind of say this at the end of every podcast or something to this tune, but at the end of every podcast, that's exactly what I mean and how I feel. I am very grateful to you for clicking in, for sending this podcast on to your friends, for subscribing, following. Um, yeah. I really do appreciate it. It means the world to me. Thank you. And the book on how you become a pro rugby player, you can get it on Amazon worldwide. If you're living in Ireland, there's a bit of an issue with Brexit and books going from, some books going from the UK to Ireland. So amazon.co.uk, it might be shown as unavailable. Just go onto my website, Offfield Rugby dot com and you can get a signed book through there just on the front page you'll see it also if you're a player or a coach and you want to have a chat go on to offfieldrugby.com and at the top click the let's work together button then scroll down and click the apply for coaching now and that will give you a link to my calendar and you can just book a time for a Zoom call there. Also, if you want to connect, you can connect with me on Instagram at Offfield Rugby. My LinkedIn is my name, Brian Moylet. And if you haven't already, would you just check if you're following the podcast? So following or subscribed. That is really helpful, helps the podcast grow. And yeah, also, if you'd like to send it on some friends, that'd be class. Thanks a million. Cheers. Have a good one.